Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. So welcome. My name is Brent. You typically don't see me up here. Uh, Pastor Luke has graciously allowed me the honor of sharing this this morning. So uh, Mount Zion holds uh, a special place in my heart. Me and Mount Zion go way back, about 25 years. Now, if you've been here for a long time, there was uh, a youth pastor on staff here for a few years named Chris Vernon. Uh, Chris was my uncle. And uh, I grew up attending First Wesleyan Church in High Point. In Mount Zion and High Point, we'd kind of hang out sometimes, and we went to the same youth camp and all that kind of stuff. And when I was 14, I went to Victory Mountain Youth Camp there in Sophia, North Carolina. We still go there to this day. And I was leaving the cabin. I came up to this field area. And if you've been there, there's a field. And if you're heading kind of toward the lodge area, uh, there's a little playground. And as I came up to this field, the clouds parted and a sunbeam shone down directly on the swings, and there was this angelic being swinging on the swings. And I said to myself, I need to know who she is. So I prayed about it. I prayed about it. And uh, I went over, talked to this young lady. I find out her name is Sky, which is appropriate because she is crafted in the heavens. And then I found out that she attends Mount Zion Wesleyan Church, of which my uncle is the youth pastor. So after much prayer and fasting, I discerned that the Lord was telling me that I needed to begin attending Mount Zion as often as I could. Fast forward, uh, we are getting ready to celebrate 20 years of marriage We got three kids and all that fun stuff. She's still hot. (laughs) She's still angelic. All that fun stuff. So thank you, Mount Zion, for raising my wife. And I'll keep on taking care of her from here. Now, we're in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there. I'm actually going to unpack the passage that we read at the lighting of the Advent candle just, just kind of briefly this morning. While you're getting there, just kind of a quick backstory, getting us up to speed. Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 1 and uh, the beginning of 2, to give you kind of context, Luke, uh, Mary and Joseph and a few other players in the story have received a prophetic word concerning this Messiah, Savior, Jesus that is going to be born to Mary as a virgin 
and uh, he is going to be the savior of the world. And it's crazy because the first prophetic words given in the New Testament were given by angels. Angels visited Mary and Joseph and some other people and began to tell them about this Messiah that's going to come. Now, that's crazy because there has been something that scholars call the intertestamental period, which means there were 400 years between one of the last prophetic words given in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, which is conveniently placed at the end of the Old Testament in our English Bibles. And in that prophecy, it refers to this messenger of the Lord coming. So there's 400 years, and then these angels essentially operate as the first prophets of the New Testament, bringing the news of this Messiah, Jesus, that is coming to restore communion with God for all people that will choose to follow him. So Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, which is Joseph's town, his city of origin. Bethlehem's not a big deal on the economic or socioeconomic stage in Israel, but it's cool because in Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament, it actually prophesies, the prophet uh, Micah prophesies that Jesus, the Savior, was going to come from Bethlehem, which is also crazy because the word Bethlehem means house of bread, God's house of bread. We're going to take communion at the end of the service, and I think it's crazy that it's God's house of bread that the Savior came from. In John, it talks about him being the bread of life. Wild how the Lord intertwines all these stories. So turn with me, look in Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 8. It says this, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock, by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I specifically want to focus on the two statements that the angel give. They say, we are bringing good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, this is crazy because in the Greek, uh, which is what the New Testament was originally written in. In Greek, the word good news is where we get our English word evangelism. And it essentially means that you are bringing an announcement or a declaration to someone that is of benefit to the hearer. You're bringing good news. You're bringing something that's beneficial for the person that's going to hear this news. What's interesting about this word is that in ancient Greek and Roman literature outside of the Bible, this word for good news is most often used in connection with people bringing the news of victories in battle campaigns to government officials. When countries were at war, these people would bring good news 
of these battle campaigns that were going on, the victories that were happening in the Greek and Roman world at the time. So catch this. Literally, what's happening when the, the angel says, I bring you good news, he is literally bringing word to humanity of the surety of the victory of this campaign that God is stepping into against the enemy and against the curse of sin and shame that is on humanity. That is good news, friends. If you're a sinner in the room, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, therefore you sinned, so you are a sinner. That's all of us. We need a perfect, sinless Savior. That is good news. And he didn't come to the high government officials. He came to the low shepherd, the common folk, which is great news for us. He came for everybody, for all humanity. And he's bringing the surety of victory. He's bringing word of this campaign and it's going well. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. Now catch this. The word joy in Greek is the word kara, X-A-R-A, kara. Now, uh, it's actually the word kara, but I don't have that Middle Eastern phlegm thing that they can do, so I'm going to call it kara. Now, the root of this word kara is kar, X-A-R. And what that word means is that you something has captured your attention and you're interested, so you lean in and you focus in on something. That's the word car. It's also in Greek where we get the word grace, charis. The word grace in biblical understanding, catch this, means that God, his attention has been caught and he leans in in his favor begins to lean into you. That's the definition of grace. That's charis. Now, kara, joy, means, catch this, the recognition of God's grace on your life. So when you begin to recognize that God is doing something in your life, you are recognizing his grace, his favor, that he's leaned into your story that's joy. Joy is the result of a recognition of God's grace. So the angels say, we bring good news of great joy. That's crazy. He's telling the shepherds that God himself is leaning into the story. He's bringing his son to manifest in human form. God's favor is getting ready to wash over all of the earth. That is so cool. And joy is what happens when a person becomes aware of that. So the angel's telling the shepherds, you're getting ready to be joyful, which they do. They go and see Jesus and come back praising God. But what's even crazier is more importantly, we begin to recognize not that God has leaned into our story, but that we are a part of his story. We're a part of his story. That's what the shepherds got to receive. So what I wanna do today is I wanna unpack a biblical understanding of joy 
You see, because if we don't grasp how joy operates as God defines it in Scripture, we're totally missing the point. It's not happy. It's not always fun. It's not always feelings. So I think we need to kind of grasp what Scripture shows us concerning biblical joy and how to obtain that. So first off, catch this. Biblical joy is a continual choice first. It's a decision that you have to make, preferably ahead of time. Preferably ahead of time. Because we all know that stuff hits the fan. Things happen in our lives. Tragedies, traumas, habits, hurts, people hurt us, we get offended, we get broken. And a lot of times, if you wait until the tragedy hits, it's a lot harder to choose joy. You see, we, we must be willing to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit through submission and say, hey, God, I'm making a decision regarding the posture of my heart toward the things of you. I wanna be about the things of you. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's getting ready to go to the cross and die. He says, hey, Jesus, hey God, Father, I, I don't wanna do this. <laughs> Let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. That's biblical joy. There are times in our lives that if we're waiting on a feeling, newsflash, it will never come. We have to choose joy first. In James chapter one, it says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. In Greek, the word consider means that your leading thought is joy. It also says, consider it all joy. Did you know that in the Greek, the word all means all? It means all of it, every piece, the whole thing. Consider it all joy. But you see, joy isn't just a choice that we make. Joy is also an emotion. It's a emotion of our soul. You see, while choice is involved, Joy is also an emotional experience that we encounter when we are submitting ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. Our feelings will follow suit because that's a biblical promise God offers as a byproduct of that willingness to choose him first, regardless of what's going on in our current circumstances. Whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever, when we choose to receive joy, God promises our feelings will follow suit. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It is a byproduct. It is an emotion. It is a feeling. You see, sometimes when we encounter the presence of God, it follows with dancing and singing and jumping and acting crazy and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's tears of joy. Sometimes you are so overcome by the presence of God that the response is tears begin to stream down your face and you don't know why. Sometimes when you choose joy, the byproduct of recognizing God's presence in your life is settled contentment in the middle of crazy. Sometimes there's a storm going on around you and all of a sudden you don't know why, but you're okay. Joy is the evidence 
that God has settled in on you and you have more importantly settled in on him. Now, a key part of understanding this emotion of biblical joy is that the emotions don't always stay around. Emotions come and go. It's like a roller coaster. I'm just going to be real honest. I'm trying not to stereotype. I'm sorry if you take it that way. Women, you're more emotional than guys. Y'all can process like 50,000 more times emotions than guys can. It's the way it is. Cut your husband some slack, okay? When they say, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, what's in your brain, what are you thinking? It, literally, sometimes they're just, it's just blank. They don't have feelings. Now, you can help them connect their feelings. But our feelings are an emotional roller coaster. And friends, if you ride that roller coaster, <laughs> there's going to be days where it's good and days where it ain't. Joy is choosing to say, my feelings are doing this, but my perspective is doing this. It's continuing to set its sight on God. You see, it's not just a choice. Joy is not just a feeling. On top of that, joy is the result of us being able to see God. The shepherds literally got to physically see God. They got to see Jesus in the manger, which is nuts. For us, God invites us to be able to see through your problem, see through your trial, through your hardship to the promise that's on the other side of the storm. That's joy. Joy is the ability to cut through the mess and go, God is still in control. He's a good God. And I say yes to whatever he's got going on. It doesn't matter if my feelings are doing this. I choose him. It's the ability to see into the spirit realm of what God is doing that other people can't see. My wife and I, um, we take having children very seriously. And uh, kind of, like I said, we've been married 20 years, got three kids. And like, for real, we would pray about, is, does the Lord want us to have a child? Because we, we believe that the way that we raise our children is that those children are not ours, but they're God's. They're his good creation, his craftsmanship, his unique personality evidencing itself in a unique way on the planet for this time, this moment. And so if this is God's child, I am called to steward this child. I am called to raise him as the Old Testament says, raise him or her as the Old Testament says, in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. We believe that promise. So every time that we have felt like the Lord was asking us to have a child, we would pray and ask the Lord for a name for this baby because we believe that declaring an identity on a child is part of them embodying what God wants them to become, that their name is significant. It means something. So when Sky first gets pregnant, we pray, feel like the Lord is saying, 
to call this child Lillian Eve. And thankfully, she was a girl. Because <laughs> if that had been a boy, he'd have had a whole lot of fights. So, Lord says, Lillian Eve was the name that we got. And Lillian Eve means flower of life. And it's crazy because if you've ever met my daughter, she's tiny and dainty and beautiful and delicate like a flower. And she literally brings life wherever she goes. She is a dispenser of all things life. We had a family gathering yesterday. She prays. She goes, I, I got I to pray over this couple before they leave. She lays hands and she just starts praying. She is bringing life. That's my girl. We feel like the Lord called us a couple, few years later to have another child pray. And the, the name that we got was Liam Malachi. Liam um, means protector or guardian. Malachi means messenger or angel. So literally like guardian angel or a protector of a message. We believe that he is a messenger. He has a story and a testimony to share. And if you've ever met my son, he would be up on this stage in a heartbeat. He doesn't know what he's going to say, but he'll just start talking. He is the megaphone in our family. So then the Lord asked us, felt like the Lord was leading us to have another child. We get pregnant, begin to pray and ask the Lord for a name. And he gives us the name <clears throat> Salem Nehemiah. And we're like, that's kind of strange because Salem means peace. Nehemiah means God, the God who comforts. And um, we go to the doctor. Man, I cried about this first service too. I'm sorry. Uh, go to the doctor and um, they, uh, for just a kind of routine checkup, and they say, we're really sorry, but the baby's not growing and we can't detect a heartbeat. And we were like, say what? Like God said to do this. Like, like whoa, 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 whoa. No, uh, no, this ain't right. So they asked us to come back in a few days. They were like, maybe something went wrong. So we begin to pray and we're like on our face, like fasting and praying and, and broken before the Lord we go and there's no heartbeat. <clears throat> and my wife miscarries. If you've ever encountered a miscarry um, for a girl, I can't even imagine because for me, it like ripped my heart out. And I was at the point of making a vow. Like I don't ever want to encounter that again. I'm done with kids. We got two. That's good. We're fine. I can't do this anymore because it hurt so bad. And to watch my wife go through it, I was like, God, I don't understand this. We literally are walking into a doctor's office like, da, 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 have another baby. It's great. And we walk out and all of a sudden we are in the middle of the storm of our life. Hurricane hit. We're getting hit left and right. And I'm like, what are you doing, God? We had to go through grief, tragedy, trauma. It was an intense situation. And when we felt like the Lord started saying, you need to do this again, bring another kid. I'm like, nah, I love you. You're good. I, I, I don't have faith for that. I'm really sorry. I, I just can't. And I'm like, I'm not putting her through that. I don't want a chance at God. I'm just being real. Sometimes you got to just be honest before the Lord. And so my wife has this dream. And in this dream, there's this little blue fish. And the fish is in the water. 
and she's walking, and this fish jumps up into her arms. And she's like, this fish can't live outside of the water, so she puts the fish back and keeps walking, and the fish jumps up into her arms again. And she realizes at that moment that this little blue fish wants to go home with her. And in the dream, she remembers that at home, she's got this red bucket that has water in it, which I now know is her womb. And she begins to carry this little blue fish home. And along the way, she encounters a bear and a dog, and she defends and wins this struggle against this bear and this dog. Goes home, puts the little blue fish in this red bucket with water in it. And we begin to ask the Lord, what does this dream mean? Because see, we believe that prophecy, the prophetic still works. Like God still talks. Did y'all know that? It's not just words on on a page. Like God still speaks. So we're like, God, are you telling us something here? And we're like, okay. I feel like you're saying that we need to do this again. So she gets pregnant. And we go to the doctor. And the doctor says, um, she doesn't have the hormones for this. As Luke said several weeks ago, I'm literally watching um, her body betray her. And he's like, you, you got to take these shots and hopefully we can get her hormones up. So every week, I'm stabbing my wife with these shots and it's a continual reminder Every week we go to the doctor and the doctor says, she's literally borderline. Like, I mean, her her levels are just right at the pregnant, not pregnant line. Like, this is miraculous. But we chose to hang on to the fact that we believe God is an author of life. God is good. And we had a dream about bringing that little blue fish home. So for nine months, we waited, and we set our sights through the storm, and we welcomed five years ago now our little Silas Zechariah, which means we prayed, and God answered. We prayed. We asked. And God answered. Now, y'all can chalk that little blue fish dream up to bad pizza. But here's the thing. When he was just a toddler, his favorite movie was Finding Dory. About a little blue fish that needs to make her way across the ocean to find her parents. How good is God? As if we needed confirmation that this dream was from him. He's like, oh yeah, this will be his favorite movie for a while. Check it out. Little blue fish making his way to his parents. So we call him our little blue fish, among other nicknames, because he's crazy. (laughs) Third kids, man, they're nuts. I'll just be honest. If y'all got third kids or more, y'all know. Each one is like a new level of crazy. Maybe it's just parenting. You know what I mean? Maybe it's my fault. I don't know. Praise God. It's grace. So, in Hebrews chapter 12, check this out. This is nuts. 
It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, meaning those men and women, the patriarchs of the faith who have gone before us that are cheering us on, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. By the way, weight and sin, did you notice it's not just sin that can cause us to stumble, it's weight. Maybe there are distractions in your life that don't need to be there. Maybe there are things weighing you down that you need to disconnect with. Let us throw aside every weight <clears throat> and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Catch this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. He didn't go to the cross because he's like, yes, God, I get to go die. This is going to be awesome. He willingly submitted himself to death on a cross, not because death was painful, but because God is good. The joy that was set before him. When Jesus said, yes, God, your will be done. I do what the Father does. I say what the Father says. When Jesus submitted himself to that, it was God's glory on his heart and the redemption of all humanity as a byproduct. It was his joy to do that because God is good. Sometimes, friends, we just need to be reminded, no matter what's going on in your story, God is good. And it might be time for you to lift your eyes from the storm and see the joy set before you. So today, today, as a response to this Christmas season, I want to celebrate Christmas. I want to celebrate the story of this baby Jesus being born and manifesting God's presence in physical form. I want to celebrate this story with the end in mind. And the end isn't Jesus on the cross. The end is King Jesus seated at the right hand of God and one day he is going to return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will be no tears. There will be no shame. There will be no pain. He's going to right every wrong for the joy set before him. Come, Lord Jesus. So as a response today, I want to take these little travel mugs And I want to celebrate the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, today. So take a moment. Scripture tells us that when we partake of the, the body and the blood of Jesus, that we need to examine ourselves. So just 
in this moment, I just want you to sit with the Lord. Imagine no one's here. It's just you and him. And sit with him for a moment and just go, hey, God, is there anything that needs to be cleared out? Is there anything you're not happy with? And if the Lord brings something to your mind, just say, hey, God, I repent. I drop that weight. I drop that sin. Father, this is about you. Point my eyes back toward you. Even if I can't see you right now, I trust you. Come, Lord Jesus. Cleanse us, Father. So on the night that Jesus gave his life for us, he took the bread and he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. In Jesus' name. And then he took the cup. And he said, likewise, this cup represents my blood given freely to cover your sins, past, present, and future. Take and drink in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we humble ourselves before you. I ask that in this season that we would choose your joy. Thank you for your son, God. Thank you for the cross. And more importantly, thank you for your resurrection. We believe in your return and we anxiously anticipate it. Jesus, we say, come. Oh God, we make ourselves pure. We ready ourselves, Father, for you. As it says in the book of Revelation, the bride readies herself. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.